Welcome to CBUS Speaks, a podcast series by Tenfold, featuring real talk between Columbus leaders and the next generation. Today on CBUS Speaks, we're excited to have on accomplished businessman, culinary expert, and nationally recognized restaurateur, Cameron Mitchell. Cameron is the founder and CEO of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants, which celebrated its 25th anniversary in 2018. Cameron's story is described as a dish room to boardroom story. He attended and graduated from the Culinary Institute of America, also known as CIA, and has been recognized as Entrepreneur of the Year by Ernst & Young. In 2009, he was named one of the five Golden Chain winners by Nation Restaurants News, and in 2015 was named CEO of the Year by Columbus CEO. Furthermore, he has served time as Chairman of the Board of Trustees at previously mentioned CIA, as well as been actively engaged in numerous local charities and committees, such as the United Way, Nationwide Children's Hospital Foundation, Columbus State Community College Foundation, KIPP Columbus, and the Columbus Partnership. Cameron, thank you so much for being here today. I know you had your warm-up interview with CNBC this morning, but we're glad you're ready for you know your big-time one in this, this afternoon. Well, great. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah. Dave. So we know you have your own book called Yes is the Answer, What is the Question, which was actually named one of the best business memoirs of all time in 2019 by Forbes.com. So I'm just wondering, everything coming full circle, you know, you're writing that book. Take us to the beginning of your story and kind of what your childhood was like growing up here in Columbus. Well, my childhood in the early years was uh, somewhat normal as I thought it was, uh, even though my parents were fighting all the time. And um, what I found out later was the first line of my book uh, was I was driving home with my mom when I was nine years old from school, and I asked when was dad coming home? And she told me he wasn't. So that was the beginning of the breakup and the divorce. And and so my life kind of changed from that point forward and what turned out to be a tumultuous two plus year divorce and move and all an uprooting of, of our lives. And um, started from there, I started going downhill first day of seventh grade, uh, started smoking uh, at the school bus stop. And I always like to tell the story because the guy that gave the cigarette to me was Harley Ruta, who was a big eighth grader. I was a seventh grader and peer pressure was insurmountable for me. And um, Harley ended up being uh, is now a member of Congress out in uh, Orange County, California. So he turned out okay. I turned out okay. So yeah. that was yeah. it. But uh, <laughs> I nosedived from there, you know, to see my dad every other weekend. And, and that got old and troubling. And and got into drugs and alcohol, and um, by the time I was in ninth grade, I'd stopped seeing my dad, and by the time I uh, got started in my sophomore year of high school, I dropped out, or towards the end of my sophomore year of high school, excuse me, I ended up dropping out of high school. I was 15 at the time and running away because I thought my mom was going to have me declared incorrigible. We had an appointment with Franklin County Children's Services and thought they were going to take me away, so uh, I left home and uh was gone on the road for about five months and um you know um scraped pennies to buy a box of macaroni and cheese at that time lived with several other runaways and you know stole for a living and did whatever i could to get a few bucks and or an odd job for a few hours here or there but uh that was it and came back uh the start of my junior year in high school and uh kind of worked my way back and I got a job. Uh, I needed money. I was, had to work in the. Uh, my mom couldn't give me lunch money, and my dad cut off child support, and she was an administrative assistant. So I had to work in the school cafeteria to, for 20 minutes a day to help wash dishes to get paid for lunch. And um, uh, and so I needed a job, and I got a job my my junior year in 1980. 
at Cork and Cleaver, which is now Hyde Park up on Old Henderson Road, uh, and started at 265 an hour as a dishwasher and then got into light prep work and uh, busing tables and so forth and liked that job. But, uh, you know, I had no idea, you know, where that would lead me at that time. I was just working for beer money in high school and, and spending money. And um, now, 40 years later, uh, I celebrate 40 years in the business this year. And uh, it's been a great ride. Was there a moment when you started working in the hospitality industry, this job as you were bussing tables and um, working at what's now known as Hyde Park? Was there a moment when you're like, wow, I really could see myself staying in this industry? Or was that not really a thought at the time? Yeah, that was uh, a really uh, pivotal moment in my life. So I graduated from Arlington High School. I lived in the have-not section. And i um, proud to say I live in the have section now, so that's <laughs> nice. But uh, back then... Uh, and, you know, back then, every kid went off to college, still as they do today, for the most part in Arlington. I think 93% of them won't go off to college. And, you know, I graduated almost last in my class. I was 592 out of 597 and a GPA of 1.05. And so going right after college was not in my plans. Not that I didn't want to go to college or didn't think about it. I just didn't want to go until I knew what I wanted to do. So I, at that point in time, in December of 81, um, when I graduated... Uh, I started working at Max and Irma's over on Kenny Road and back then that super busy restaurant and I was just working for again for beer money and you know I was the laziest guy in the kitchen and the uh, um, you know had a lousy attitude and was just kind of and I was late all the time and I ended up getting suspended for three days for being late one too many times and I was on 30 day, 30 day probation so I served my uh, suspension and came back to work, and during my uh, probationary period of Friday during shift change, I was working as an AM line cook that day, and, and I was coming back as a PM host that night, so I was working a double shift, and it was 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It was pandemonium in the kitchen, and you know the rest of the bar was already packed for happy hour. The restaurant was half full, and the AM shift was trying to leave. PM shift was trying to come on, and, and I just looked across the kitchen, and, and time froze, and uh, I had an epiphany. I said, I love this action i love the business so i went home that night and wrote out my goals to my mom and woke her up at one in the morning and shared my goals i said i was going to go to the culinary institute of america i'd heard about that school it's the harvard of culinary schools top culinary school in the world and i was going to graduate and i listed all my goals all the way up until uh, over a series of goals till my my main goal was at 35 to become president of a, of a restaurant company so uh she was quite relieved and I was quite relieved knowing I had a direction in life, and I really believed it, and went to work the next morning on Saturday, uh, and literally did a 180 degree turn from Friday. I was now the hardest working guy in the kitchen, uh, no longer working for the man. I was working for myself and my future, and I had the best attitude, and um, really never got outworked since then. And, um, and so that was the real turning point for me. And I always tell people, you know, that the, the restaurant business found me. I didn't really find it. Uh, just happened to uh, walk into it and happened to like it. And and I always joke I got fired from my last two jobs, which were mowing lawns and delivering newspapers. So this is the one I've been able to hold on to. So I'm still here 40 <laughs> years later. Right. So I got lucky. I, you know, I really got lucky. At 18, I knew I wanted to be president of a restaurant company. And so... Um, you know, that's not the way it normally works. Some kids know at 14 they want to be a doctor or whatever, and they, they follow that path. But 
for most people, I don't think it really works that way. And uh, so I was really blessed and lucky that um, that happened to me. And so I had my direction going forward. But, you know, even my own kids today, you know, don't know what they want to do necessarily in their life. And, uh, and, they're, and they're in college and just graduated. So, um, but if you can find your passion and, uh, you know, uh, find a job you like or you love or then or a career you love, and then it becomes easy. I I literally tell people, you know, I, I, for 25 years, I've told my wife I'm going to work, but I haven't gone to work for 25 years. That's just what I do. I love what I do. So that's been, uh, I've been extremely lucky with that. So you wrote down these goals. You found your passion, what you want to do. What was that next step after that? Well, I got, I got, I applied to the Culinary Institute of America and I got, I rejected my first time because my high school grades were so bad. And they said uh, to me, uh, we like your experience, but uh, unfortunately, your grades aren't great, which they weren't. And um, they said, if you take um, math and English class and do well at your local college, uh, resubmit your with the transcripts, your application, and we'll look at you more favorably at that point. And so I did that, and I enrolled over at Columbus State, a math and English course, got A's, reapplied, and finally got accepted. But um, that was the first of many, many hurdles along my career. But, you know, I've always... Um, talked about, you know, integrity takes years to build and days to ruin and our careers take years and years to build and, and it's just one step at a time forward. Um, but I always, always, no matter what, operated like uh, water off a duck's back and, you know, I use the analogy of the uh, uh, the toy, the blow-up toy it used to punch and it would knock down and come right back up and knock down and come right back up. So that was me. Um, you know, many, many trials and tribulations over the years, and uh, um, you just keep fighting. And, and actually, you know, it's it's really evident today, now that I think about it, with COVID and the COVID-19 response and and being the leader of our company and, and, and having to work through just this uh, uh, unbelievable tragedy that our nation is facing right now. And, and, and you know, I've never worked harder in my life, really, quite frankly, um, and certainly never led in such a difficult environment, a sustained, ongoing, difficult environment. And, you know, um, but I'm just still doing the same thing I did back then and just keep pushing and one foot in front of the other. And, you know, I really believed uh, we would survive COVID-19 um, uh, with, the, you know, with that attitude. And so, you know, we closed down our restaurants March 20th and March 21st, I was in the office working towards rebuilding and opening. So, um, and we still have faced, even to this day, many, many um, uh, difficulties. But uh, with perseverance, uh, you know, and an entrepreneur's attitude and drive, you can get through about anything. So you think that your your path, and you said you have many trials and tribulations along the way, do you think that's what is helping you right now, just knowing that you can get through things? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's it's uh, at this point, it's completely instinctive. You know, it's just, you know, who I am, part of what I am and what I do. But, um, you know, if I didn't have that, I don't know that we would make it uh, today. And, and um, you know, a lot of people's lives are counting on me and, you know, our many thousands of associates and so forth. But um, and my family and everybody else and the charities we support and our business partners and our, our banks and everybody is counting on not just me but our whole team to survive this and um, but you just keep doing it one day at a time one foot at a time one step at a time and you all overcome I've always as an entrepreneur kind of said over the years I've never met a problem I can't solve you know 
entrepreneurs by nature are tenacious and uh, they'll figure out a way whether it's be around a problem underneath a problem over the top punch right through set a new course whatever the case may be entrepreneurs in, inherently will always find a way when they have the, the, that amount of drive and you know i had that drive starting that saturday morning uh, at 18 years old and uh, it's still with me today 40 years later yeah you talk about those pivotal points COVID-19 is definitely a hot topic right now that we'll definitely discuss later. But I want to go back to after you graduated from CIA and, you know, started to work in the restaurant business, kind of moved up the ranks through 55 Restaurant Group. And then you kind of made that decision to you went over a year without a paycheck to kind of start your own thing. So I just want to know, like, where did that ambition come from and why did you take such a risk? Well, certainly back then, uh, nothing from nothing was nothing. So I had nothing. So I had my one-bedroom apartment, my legal pad, and my pen, and a couple thousand bucks to my name, and that was it. And But when I, I, I actually got fired from the 55 group, I was the number two in command there. Um, and my boss, uh, I started getting frustrated with, I, I, I knew I wasn't going to become president and the company was owned as a hip pocket business by some other local uh, wealthy businessmen, and they didn't really care about us as restaurant people, and kind of had and didn't really care about the business itself. And um, so I got frustrated. I started looking to leave, and you know, I told a few friends, and my boss kind of found out through the you know channels that his number two guy's right hand man was looking you know out out and elsewhere. So I had one eye, and I understood. He said, listen, you know, it's time for you to fly. I did it very lovingly, you know, it was a Saturday morning, and said, this is going to be the best day of your life, best thing ever happened to you, and it's time for you to fly. It's time for you to leave the nest. And I was with him for six years and um, had a great relationship with him. And and so that was a Saturday morning, and, and uh, Monday morning I got up and started, and my, my goal was still the same, to be president of a restaurant company. I just realized I was in a, a local restaurant. I was actually in Spaggio's on Grandview Avenue in May of 1992. On a Friday night, I always joke my epiphanies happen on Fridays, but I uh, was there at 9 o'clock to meet a friend for a drink, and, and Chef Huber had just got done with the, in the kitchen and came out in his whites with a glass of wine. I was kibitzing with the uh, guests, and I was waiting for my friend to, to join me at the bar. So I was watching him, and just hit me like a ton of bricks that, that very moment. I knew right that moment that... Uh, the only re- real way to achieve my goals from that point forward is to start my own company. So I actually left July 11th of 1992, about six weeks later is when I actually got fired. And I was planning on leaving a little bit later as I saved some money and so forth, but I didn't. And so Monday morning, I started with my legal pad and pen. And it took uh, 14 months to open the first restaurant. And uh, my first site, I, uh, the landlord went bankrupt as I raised the capital for it. I worked six months on it. And uh, so I had to start all over again, pick myself up by the bootstraps, send my partners back their checks, find a new location, a new business plan, etc. And I finally got funded March of 1993, and we opened up October 5th of 1993, uh, when it's Cameron's or Worthington. And still there today and still thriving today and doing well. So... Um, but it's just another one of those obstacles, and um, it was very challenging, you know, to say the least. And one of my favorite stories I used to tell, I like to tell is, um, you know, in my one-bedroom apartment, I'm depressed. You know, it was a very difficult time. I didn't want to work because I didn't want anybody to think I wasn't serious, and I didn't want to detract from my mission. So 
But I ran out of stuff to do a lot, and so I'd be depressed, and I'd fall asleep in the middle of the afternoon. That's what you do when you're depressed. And um, and the phone would ring, and back then it was the old phone on the cord and so forth. And I would never want anybody to think for a second it could have been a potential investor on the phone, whoever, that I was sleeping in the middle of the afternoon. So I would stand up, you know, kind of shake myself awake, and answer the phone on the third or fourth ring. Hello? You know, so um, even though I was asleep, 30 seconds earlier, you know, so, <laughs> right. uh, but even those little details along the way of just making sure that, you know, you're making positive impressions every single chance. And back then I had, I, everybody was helping me was on a volunteer basis, you know, or just out of being a friend. And so, um, I needed everybody's help, all hands on deck I could do. So I didn't want anybody to think for a moment, anything less of me. So when you were, when you came up with this idea, this epiphany on the Friday, as you describe it. Did you imagine Cameron Mitchell restaurants to be what it is today? Oh, no. You know, um, in fact, you know, there were times of, you know, I was seriously uh, um, not sure it was going to happen. I mean, especially when the first deal fell through and I had to scramble and I was out of money and to start to, to put the next deal together. And I, I got it done and I was able to write myself back a check for $7,000 that I had spent on copying charges and so forth. Remember, I dropped out of high school, so I couldn't, and I dropped out of typing class, so I couldn't type my letters and business plans. I had to pay someone to do it for me and so forth, and I was able to write myself a check. Once I funded the 400000 was able to break escrow for, in March for $7,000, and I could, and I lived off that until we opened October 5th, and that's all the money I'd put into it along the way. So um, it was just one series of blessings and, and things, you know, uh, happened I could tell you half a dozen times, you know, Thursday evening I had to have payroll in the bank by 5 o'clock or I was going to miss payroll. And, you know, 4.55 we get the money in, you know. I mean, it just uh, many, many uh, entrepreneurial modes, times like that along the way. But uh, I had no idea if someone would have told me, uh, you know. I w I've never done a backflip, but I probably could have back then. <laughs> and probably would have. So, um, yeah, you know, it's just uh, blind faith and just keep, pressing on and believing and you know you hear stories like that all the time you know and you know whether famous stories you know like actors that were you know broke and you know whatever I mean um, it's just perseverance you know and it's what life is all about and um, you know when everybody else is out there trying to do the same thing you know you got to push hard you got to push sometimes harder than the rest and and uh, and hope you get a few breaks and I've certainly got a few breaks along the way but you know uh, what is that? You know, is luck really is prepared for when opportunity arises? And, and so I try to look at myself as spending a lot of time being prepared because you you never know when either opportunity is going to come or, or, in this case, COVID-19 or tragedy comes. So you just uh, keep working every day, doing the best you can. So going back to uh, you talking about those little things or those little impressions that people get when they visit your restaurants, it's interesting to me how especially early on and still your name is like heavily utilized in your restaurants names like that brand so is that something that you like really value and you know what kind of a risk is that to 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 put your reputation on the line i know if you're a restaurant owner it's always on the line but especially early out in your career with mitchell's fish market and mitchell's steakhouse so i'm just curious to think your thought process behind building that brand well again you know i got a story for everything so <laughs> um 
As I was opening Cameron's of Worthington, my design firm that was helping me had uh, shared an office upstairs with a marketing gal. And I, um, I paid her, I think she charged me 200 bucks an hour. I think I paid her $400. That's all I could afford to do a two hour charrette with me about naming the restaurant and, and so forth. And um, she kept coming back to naming it Cameron's. And, you know, I didn't want to name it after myself. I don't have that type of ego per se. And, um, but she, she said, you know, it's like Ralph Lauren. That name has become synonymous with, you know, you know, make Cameron synonymous with quality and so forth. And I said, okay, so we call it Cameron's. And then uh, a few years later, we now had multiple restaurants, and uh, we were trying to name our restaurant company. And, you know, uh, the first name for the restaurant company was Clean Plate Restaurant Group, and then there was to Dine for Restaurants. We literally called ourselves that for a while. Uh and then it kept coming back to, why don't we just call it Cameron Mitchell Restaurants? And um, and then we used, you know, the name of each restaurant then was a Cameron Mitchell Restaurant, and that became the brand. And um, it was all tied back to that very one meeting I had for $400 with uh, this gal. I could never escape that. And, and so, uh, uh, so it's a true story that I never wanted to name the company after me. I never wanted to name the first restaurant after me. And uh, I never wanted to name some of the restaurants after me. And... Uh, um, but we did and it worked out and, uh, just like you, my wife's name is Molly and that's how we yeah. came with Molly Woo's because uh, right, there was a restaurant exactly. in New York called Ruby Foo's. And so I say <laughs> we call it, came with Molly Woo's and I like to joke that she wooed me and in, into marrying her, but, uh, it's actually probably the other way around if you ask her, but that's okay. <laughs> so you, you mentioned associating the word quality with Cameron Mitchell restaurants and I think that's definitely rings true. And I also think that customer service is the utmost important to Cameron Mitchell restaurants. And I, in your book, you mentioned all these stories about how that came about. What happened along the way that you, in your mind was like customer service is of the utmost importance? Well, in our company culture and values that I wrote out in my shorts and t-shirt in my one-bedroom apartment as I started to work on the restaurant. Because remember, I, I wanted to build a restaurant company. It was about birthing a company. It was never about opening one restaurant. So we wrote out our comp- I wrote out our company culture and values. And um, the uh, number one value we have is our associates come first. And, you know, it, it, it's never been about guest service. We, in fact, in our company, we very rarely talk about the guest. Um, and it's mostly about taking care of our people. And I believe in a triangular relationship, you know, um, you know, I absolutely guest service, great guest service runs to the bottom of my heart. You know, I love taking care of people. I, I say, I don't care if someone's black, white, male, female, eight or 80. I love taking care of people, you know, runs to the deepest depths of my heart. But, um, we, uh, in, in our service, uh, has become really the calling card of Cameron Mitchell restaurants. And we've been synonymous with great service and, but we really achieve that by taking care of our people. And so I look at it this way. If we take care of our people, our people take care of our guests, and then our guests take care of our company. Most of us in the restaurant business, whether if we're, you know, divided, we're about divided in half. Half of us are kind of career folks, you know, kind of that's that's how we sustain ourselves and we love that business and so forth. And the other half is transient. You know, they're moving on to, col- you know, from college on or doing whatever. And, you know, uh, when people know how much you care about them, and in and, and the restaurant business in general hasn't always been that way, you know, and 
Um, so when our people know how much they care, we care about them, uh, then they truly care about us as a company. And when they care about us as a company, uh, then they truly want to take care of our guests. And so that's really how it works. You know, it's the simplest thing. Like, you know, a perfect example of that is we're closed seven major holidays, really eight with Super Bowl. Um, and, you know, we could make a lot of money on some of those holidays. And um, we chose not to because I wanted to take care of our people. I want our people to be at home with their families and friends during the holidays. So that's just one example of the many, many, many things that we do to take care of our people. But And when you put your people first, really the results are spectacular. Do you think there was something in your past that made you say this is important to take care of our people? Was it experience that you've had that maybe you weren't taken care of? Sure. I mean, um, so... That's a two-pronged answer. Really, the, the primary result of or the, the writing of the company culture and values and how that came about was some of the research and reading I did. You know, in my apartment, I had poster boards up all over the walls and books out and wadded up papers. I'd write and rewrite and post. You know, I mean, it was just, uh, and I, I spent about a month. The first thing I did when I left 55 to start uh, opening, start of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants, what became Cameron Mitchell Restaurants, start to open, build the company. Uh, the first thing I did before our location or anything else was start to write out the company culture and values. What kind of company do I want to build? And I want to build a company that's wrapped around great culture and values. Again, I didn't want it to be about me. I wanted it to be about the culture and values. And so, um, and then secondly, you know, coming up the ladder in the restaurants, you know, I, um, yeah, I had a few things along the way that happened to me that, you know, made me realize our company or our people, you know, they didn't care about us as the associates. And, um, and it wasn't, I wasn't real jaded or bitter or anything. I just kind of, I said, this can be better. And then as I was reading and studying and trying to draft and construct our culture and values, it really came out in some of the stuff I read that um, this is the way to make it happen. And so that just became the founding real principle of our company. Here at Tenfold, culture is really something that is important and we really examine. So I'm wondering at Cameron Mitchell restaurants, does the culture differentiate between each restaurant or is there kind of a commonality between them all? Oh, I suppose there are small nuances in every restaurant and every restaurant staff, you know, I mean, all, you know, a restaurant staff is a collection of personalities and, and how those, you know, coincide, I think. So there might be some nuances, but I, I best describe it as this, um, that, um, our practices um, are all the same across all of our restaurants, you know, and our culture and values is all the same across all of our restaurants. And so what's different is the conceptual piece, the window dressing, you know, uh, Marcella's downtown versus um, the Pearl Dublin or the barn out to New Albany or Ocean Prime. Those have different window dressings, but if you are a manager or an employee or associate of one of those restaurants and you move to another one, uh, yes, the menu is different, yes, the but the procedures, the by way we operate, our company culture and values is all the same. That So that chassis and engine are all the same, but the body is a little bit different. So it's, it's, it's not too terribly difficult to move in between our restaurants uh, and, and we have uh, associates do that all the time you know um we happily welcome we have a number of people of, of young people who have 
um, moved from Columbus to LA, for example, and work in our Beverly Hills restaurant because they're trying to make it in acting or modeling or whatever. So, I mean, we have moves all over the country. I'd like to move here. I want to be there, you know, so it works out great. It's kind of like a little passport program. Yeah. So, <laughs> a little relocation program. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of those locations, I mean, you, Cameron Mitchell restaurants are located all over the country and you really built this company in Columbus. What was that like to have the culture of Columbus coincide with the culture of Cameron Mitchell and how did that, how do they help each other? A couple things like that to, to answer, I got to go really all the way back to Cameron's at Worthington. When we opened up Cameron's at Worthington, you know, no one in Columbus had heard of Cameron Mitchell or, you know, Cameron Mitchell restaurants or anything. And, and, you know, back then my goal is to have a media impression every week, whether it be a, a, a drop off to a radio station or a, a charity donation we're doing or whatever, you know? Um, and so we built, we had 10 restaurants in Columbus and we started to move out of town. And, and so then I looked at, you know, I, I just replicated the whole thing. So uh, I used the whole snowball mentality, you know, so we started this little snowball at Cameron's of Worthington and rolled in. Now there's a big snowball in Columbus. And, and if you equate Columbus to that little tiny piece of the country, nobody in the country had heard of Cameron Mitchell restaurants. And now we've got restaurants coast to coast and in 13, uh, 14 states. So um, we, again, just keep working at it, pushing it uh, every year. I will tell you one thing that was really challenging in the beginning. Um, we did not know. Um, we just assumed that culture and values would transfer. So we opened uh, some restaurants in the beginning. The first few restaurants out of town were in Cincinnati, Louisville, and Pittsburgh. And um, we opened so many at one time, we didn't have enough people to grow. We And so like our entire management team in Cincinnati, we hired in Cincinnati. We had them stay up here for eight weeks and train them, and we thought they'd learn a culture. And it took us two and a half years to fix that culture in that restaurant and get it right. And so in the early days, our out-of-town restaurants would not score nearly as high on our culture ratings and our internal measurements as they would in town. And we worked very hard at that, and we will not open a restaurant out of town now with about, say there's eight managers on the management team. We'd have six that come from within the company now. And so today, our, we, we, rate, we do what we call associate opinion survey twice a year, every year. And we rate our culture and values impact within the cult, the company, within our associate ranks. And um, our most recent survey of the top 10 restaurants where the culture and values was resonating in restaurants, seven of those top 10 were out of town. Now, there's very little difference between all of them now. But, but when we broke it down in those top 10, seven of them were out of town. So it was pretty cool. So do you think Cameron Mitchell restaurants would have had the same success if you had not started it in Columbus? Um, I think we would have had more success. And I use the analogy of, uh, you know, if, if you started in New York City as a, you know, a musician or an actor, or you started in L.A. as a musician or an actor, you know, um, even though there's more competition there, you have more credibility if you start to make it there, you know, to go over there. Was, in the early days when we were, you know, Cameron Mitchell Restaurants in Columbus, Ohio, and we started working on moving out of town, people would say, you know, they, they would look, wouldn't look as seriously. A lot of landlords wouldn't even talk to us. Oh, you're from Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, don't bother. You know, I spent um, probably 20 trips going to New York City to try to find a location in New York City and convince, you know, a landlord to take a chance on Cameron Mitchell restaurants in New York City. And today, now, you know, we're all over the country, Beverly Hills, New York City, Boston, you know, Philadelphia, D.C., whatever, Texas. 
So now that's all completely removed. There is no resistance from a landlord. Uh, in fact, I like to joke, uh, and it's not really a joke. I actually do it. Um, back in the early days, landlords wanted to see our financial statements and and and, uh, and before they would do business with us. And today, um, now we request landlord's financial statements and references on a landlord before the new landlord before we'll do business. You have with the power them. now. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so that's why I say I think if we started maybe somewhere else, um, we might have been a little more successful because that was a lot of headwind uh, in the beginning, early years. What do you think it was about Columbus that, you know, maybe a landlord from New York didn't really see, but that you know to be true about, you know, what it's like to live here, a place you've called home your whole life? Like, what is it that allowed your restaurants to succeed and like be embraced by the community? Well, it sounds kind of cliche, but it's the old Midwestern hospitality. Um, it's real, alive and well. It's known in Columbus here as the Columbus Way now. And um, I think, you know, uh, here's a perfect example. I was so nervous about doing the orientation in New York City. I do all the orientations the first night and we open a new restaurant with all the associates. I handle it personally and introduce them to our culture and values. I have about a two-hour presentation. And uh, I was super nervous about these, you know, people in New York. Are they think I'm some, you know, Pollyanna guy from Columbus, Ohio, you know, hokey pokey kind of guy. And, you know, they uh, came up to me afterwards and just couldn't believe it. They were so, they're already in love with our company after orientation because they felt valued right there from the start, you know, where they had just been a number before anywhere they have else worked. And a year later, we had, I don't know, 95% retention of all of our original staff. And, you know, I do these presidents round tables where I sit down and talk with staff twice a year in the restaurants. And um, they were telling me they just, they love working at Ocean Prime New York City because it's such a great place to work and you take good care of your people. So, uh, at the end of the day, I've learned that, you know, people put their pants on the same way and have the same wants, needs, and desires across the country. And and I think um, uh, what has ingrained in our culture and values is part of it's the Columbus way. And part of it's that Midwestern hospitality, and it's uh, worked out well. So going back to the Columbus way, expanding on that, over the course of this podcast, we talked with politicians, developers, businessmen, tech university, lawyers, and judges. I mean, you've been part of the Columbus Partnership for many years. What is it about this city that allows all those different people to be like so civically minded in the advancement of the city? Well, you know, um, personally, I just love Columbus. It's my home, always will be, always has been. And so uh, I'll do everything I can within my power to push Columbus forward. And the beautiful thing about the Columbus Partnership is uh, you're talking 75 CEOs and I don't know how many hundreds of billions of dollars and tens and tens of thousands of people work for these companies combined. Uh, but not one of us has a selfish bone in our body. You know, we're all working together in um, partnership with, you know, our government leaders, you know, um, our state leaders, our local government leaders, our colleges and university presidents here in town and, and to move Columbus forward for the betterment of all. And, uh, we want all boats to rise, and it's a, a pretty exciting thing to be a part of. It. But, uh, and, you know, Harvard Business School's done some a case study on Columbus and the Columbus Way. It's real, it's live, it's, it's there. Um, I can't talk about the Columbus Partnership um, without talking about, you know, Alex Fisher and Les Wexner and the late John Wolf. 
what those three uh, have done for our city has been just tremendous. And, you know, I'm just kind of following in their footsteps and trying to extend their reach and, um, and, and push Columbus forward. And so that collaboration is just, it's really neat to see. And for young people, I think, you know, growing up or starting here in Columbus, if you will, out of college, um, it, it's a big, small city. And so you can get to know a lot of people. And, you know, uh, thousands of people have helped me over the years, you know, um, whether it be investors or, you know, favors or needing to call someone for help or whatever. And, uh, you know, people in Columbus generally want to help people and generally want to help each other. And I think that creates a, um, you know, such an environment of collaboration where, you know, you see you, there's lots of success stories all the way around here, including here where we're sitting, you know. Uh, so um, it's neat to see and it's neat to be, neat to be a part of. So you mentioned this camaraderie between everyone in the Columbus Partnership and just in Columbus in general. And I think especially right now during this pandemic, that's super necessary. So what do you see for the future of what we need to do in order to keep Columbus moving forward? It's been growing for the past 30 to 40 years, and we don't want this to stop it from growing. So what, what are the next steps that we need to take? Well, I think, first of all, um, We've made a lot of progress. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, Columbus 2020, which was an extension arm of Columbus Partnership, has done a, you know, exceeded their goals for the past 10 years of bringing new business to Columbus and raising per capita income in Columbus, et cetera. But we still have, I think, significant work to do in two areas. Um, and I, I don't know if we can ever say mission accomplished, you know. Our goal is to be an extraordinary restaurant company. And, and we know, you know, can never achieve that. You just got to keep pushing for that. And, and, but I think in Columbus, and I'm not speaking out of school here, I think most members of the partnership would say the same thing. Uh, first and foremost is the quality of our K through 12 or pre K through 12 education. Um, you know, it's, I'm on the board of the KIPP school with, uh, uh, Abigail Wexner led by Abigail Wexner. And, um, and, that school is just unbelievable. You know, there's 2,000 pre-K through 12 students, so we have 2,000 on the waiting list. We're building a whole other campus. It will represent almost 10% of Columbus public schools. We have a uh, we had 100% graduation rate with our last class versus Columbus public at 57%. I think is the accurate number there. Um, and and so trying to improve our public school system, but but we're at KIPP, we're taking those disadvantaged kids those 2,000 disadvantaged kids and turning them into advantaged kids. And those kids score just as well as the kids in the top suburbs around the state. And so uh, I think the, you think about the long-term impact of those young people graduating and coming back in, from college and coming back to Columbus, and uh, it'll be huge. And then the second piece is um, still we have areas in Columbus uh, that we need to do a lot of work in to improve might be broadband technology in every home and it, you know um and and you know, might be access to public transportation removing all the barriers uh, i know you had tanny crane on here uh, uh her and jane abel um the work they did down at the reeb center uh to create that and to rally many other columbus leaders around that and the impact that's making on the south side and so we need more reeb centers around columbus and we need to impact uh, some of those less fortunate areas here in Columbus. But um, lots and lots of organizations and lots and lots of people, our city leaders, Mayor Ginther, are all working towards that. Um, so I think we'll see significant progress in that from 20 to 30, you know, over the next 10 years as we move forward.
Yeah, I, I know education was something that Yvette harped on as well um, when we talked to her. Also, you made a, a giant donation to Columbus State Community College for a state-of-the-art hospitality management and culinary arts school. What was kind of the inspiration behind that and what you kind of hope for that to be for the community? Well, you know, we'll have tens of thousands of students through there um, as we go through over the next, you know, 20, 30 years. And um, that impact of that school uh, on the young people in this community and around the state that come there and then what they come out and work in, in the community and build their careers in the hospitality business uh, is really, I can't measure it today, but I know it's going to be extremely impactful. But the ability to give back um, in, in that way and lead that charge, uh, you know, um, Columbus State for me, again, I was introduced to many, many years ago. I've been a proud supporter of Columbus State for a long, long time. And so um, it was so much better for me to do something like that here than maybe up at my alma mater or the CIA. You know, this is where it's really more impactful. And and that uh, school, I'm proud to say, is uh, state-of-the-art. And, and I think, in my mind, the top uh, culinary school around the country in any two-year type college like Columbus State. And um, So its impact on this community is going to be felt for many, many generations to come as it moves forward. We uh, are all so grateful for this idea of giving back, it's been a huge theme in our podcast. And everyone who has gotten from Columbus, they're giving back to Columbus. And it's a beautiful thing to see. And we've had such a great time today, I mean, hearing your stories. But before we wrap up, I mean, we really want to know from you to the next generation, us sitting here as the next generation, if you have something to say to them, some words of wisdom, encouragement, especially at a time like this right now, what would you say to the next generation? Well, you know... Um I've always believed in pushing out as much as I can. You know, uh, people joke they can, you could be make a living being a homeless person right around in front of me, you know, all the time because I give every homeless person some money. Um, but, you know, um, you, if you, I just believe you reap what you sow. It sounds again so simple, but, you know, if you lead a life that uh, you're, you give and give to others and give of your time and, you know, whether it's your time, treasure, and talent, and I have no time, so I can give treasure or talent. And, uh, um, you know, the more you give, the more you receive. And so, um, and and then, you know, like I said earlier, that perseverance of, you know, uh, water off a duck's back, just you keep marching along through adversity, you know. Um, um, I never shied away from work. I worked 36-hour shift at one point, you know I mean? You see emergency doctors do it and people do it and surgeons. And, and I treated my career like becoming a surgeon, you know, that it was, you know, 15 years of post-high school education, whatever, then you become a junior surgeon. You know, I kind of looked at it and now I'm a, uh, uh, I, I guess I have some respect as a restaurateur today, but, you know, I I didn't, uh, I, I treat as if, you know, I'm just keep going and keep pushing. And, and um, you know, you, you, you really do. I, I think my life is a testament to that, that, uh, you know, I came from nothing, you know, um, you know, runaway high school dropout. Um, uh, I understand the power of education. If I didn't have my even finishing last of my class at Upper Arlington, if I didn't have that base education so I could write a letter and vocabulary and all those things that I needed to, uh, um, to move forward. So it's just, it's terribly important. And I, you know, um, I just have such a, uh, empathy for the less fortunate out there and trying to make their lives better and in turn your life becomes better and so 
um, I, I think that's just, you know, my kind of rules the road. You know, you just, uh, you know, almost give till it hurts sometimes and keep pushing and never, ever give up. Um, you know, I like to joke. My wife tells me uh, that I uh, can't tra- take out the trash, so she know I will. You know, <laughs> to, you know tell her, prove to her I can. You know, I so, um, but it is, uh, uh, you know, and I just love being an entrepreneur. And those entrepreneurs think outside the box all the time. And um, I never really accept status quo. It's just not in my nature. Well, I know Columbus is lucky to have you, and we're, we were lucky to have you on the show today. And Yeah, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us, Cameron. Really appreciate it. Well, it was a pleasure to be with you today, and so I enjoyed it. So thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to CBUS Speaks. Keep up with the conversation on Instagram or Twitter with the handle at Tenfold Talks.